For 30 years, Dr. James McDonald served as founding and senior pastor of Harvest Bible Chapel in Rolling Meadows, Illinois. And for more than 20 years, he was the Bible teacher of the broadcast ministry, Walk in the Word. He's a prolific author of more than 15 books, and he joins us today to talk about the crisis of biblical illiteracy. James, thanks so much for being here. Hey, man, how's it going? Hey, man, it's going so good. You and I have been friends for, oh, what, like 100 years now? How long has it been? Seems like it. I don't know, the older we get, it seems to like double every five years, but let's just say it's a long time. We're very thankful for you and Chelsea, and I'm excited about the subject matter today. Me too. I love the Bible. Uh, I grew up as an atheist, and I grew to love the Bible, the, bo- the Bible that I, I thought was the book I thought was a fraud, the book that I thought was just a, full of a bunch of rules designed to remove the fun out of, of my life. Uh, you're a Bible teacher, and your ministry through Walk in the Word has potentially impacted me and my family more than any other Bible teaching ministry, and we're so grateful for you and for your family. But we're here to talk about biblical illiteracy, uh, i.e. people are not reading the Bible. They don't understand it. They don't know how to read it. They don't know what they're reading. James, I thought I knew the Bible, and then I just found out from somebody that Joan of Arc is actually Noah's wife. I didn't know that. (laughs) (laughs) Any more? Got any more? Come on, let's hear them all. Okay, well, let me ask you this. If you had to guess, what percentage of graduating high school seniors believe Sodom and Gomorrah were husband and wife? Um, boy, I'm afraid to know the answer to that. It might be too discouraging. Well, I'll tell you, the answer is kind of discouraging. According to this poll, 50% think Sodom and Gomorrah were married. Wow. wow. James, I'm going to set you up with this, and I want you to, I want you to, to take us to school here. Uh, never in history has it been easier to read the Bible. Uh, there's been over 5 billion copies printed, 100 million of them sold every year, 20 million of which are in the United States alone. Uh, the YouVersion Bible app has downloaded over 500 million times with Bibles being more accessible than ever before in history. It seems to be at an all-time low. Uh, why do you think that is? I would just say that, you know, as you were just stating, everyone has access to God's Word, certainly in North America, which is where our conversation begins. And yet every poll indicates that people are less and less inclined to know it, less and less inclined to believe it. The Bible is seen as uh, material that could be reviewed and considered, but it's certainly not seen as authoritative. A recent LifeWay study said that only 32%, so roughly three out of every 10 people in America who attend church regularly actually read the Bible every day. You know, that doesn't make sense to me, and that doesn't make sense to you on a personal level, because that's like my food. That's like water. I mean, if, if, if I didn't eat food every day, I would wither away. And that's exactly how I feel in my heart and in my soul, uh, because the word of God is my life. Well, sure. First uh, Peter 2, 2 says that as newborn babes, we are to desire the pure milk of the word so that we may grow by it. My uh, life a verse is Jeremiah 15, 16, which says, your words were found to me and I did eat them and they became in me the joy and the rejoicing of my heart. But, you know, I had a bunch of pastors here, Kirk, in my house recently. I was training them in what we call better biblical preaching. And uh, it was remarkable to me when I asked them, what is the goal of preaching? They, they really, seminary trained guys, they just 
kind of didn't know. And I took the time, several hours, to teach them from the Word of God that the end game of preaching is a higher view of Scripture. You go to church on the weekend, it cultivates your hunger for this book, and you're like, I'm going to read some more of this before next week. That was fantastic. And it puts the Bible on a low shelf. Good preaching puts the Bible on a shelf where people can understand it and learn to feed themselves. And I just don't think that's as common as it once was. I love that because you have such a practical Bible teaching ministry that actually makes me want to, 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 to honor God, to love God, to serve him more. But you're bringing out a really important point for, for preachers is that they need to make much of the word of God so that it's elevated and we have a high view of the fact that God wrote a book and I want to devour that book. I wanna, I wanna digest his words because they're the things that actually give life to my, to my marriage, life to my, my personal life, uh, life to my, the way right. that I treat others, uh, life to everything. Well, and so much so that I think that pastors need to come back to the belief that they're not making a choice between helpful and biblical that in fact, learning how to break open the word of God and feed people from it in a way that nourishes their souls, that is the job. And, you know, talks on nutrition and other helpful things and, you know, how to communicate with your children and all of these important life subjects. You know, let's leave the life coaching to the life coaches and let's have the people, you know, what, what Paul's final instruction to Timothy within moments of his death, he said, Basically, I implore you by God and by the Lord Jesus Christ to preach the word in season and out of season means literally good time and not good time. And we're at a time right now where apparently it's not good time because um, the Bible says the time will come when they will have itching ears. And I'd say um, is already here. People want to hear what people want to hear. And that fills churches. And and uh, but I know so many pastors who long to grow in their effectiveness of communicating God's word. And I'm really committed to spending the rest of my life helping more people do that more faithfully. James, what's what's wrong with just telling good stories and giving, uh, you know, life coaching advice? I mean, if we want to boil the Bible down, somebody might say, hey, the message is love God and love your neighbor. Close the book. I understand. Now let me tell you how to live your life. What's wrong with that? Why do we have to actually open up and expound the word of God? Well, that's really a great question. And I think that the answer is, is that Jesus said to his disciples in the upper room discourse, I wonder how many people, Kirk, would know immediately what the upper room discourse is. It's the message that Jesus gave from John 13, uh, really to the end of John 17, or just before that. And uh, it's where he was giving kind of some final things to the disciples. And we have very concentrated teaching in chapter 14, 15, and 16 of the Gospel of John on the upcoming ministry of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said that the Holy Spirit was being sent to guide you into all truth. I mean, you've got to imagine the disciples with Jesus. They were like, is somebody writing this down? Is somebody writing this down? And, and Jesus was like, you don't have to worry about that. I'm sending my Holy Spirit. He will bring to your remembrance all of the things that I've told you. And of course, that was that promise was fulfilled in the Holy Spirit uh, inspiring the scriptures. And 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all scripture is God-breathed. That the that uh, 2 Peter chapter 1 says that guys didn't sort of write down what they wanted to write down. It says, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is the author of scripture. And um, this isn't just, you know, alternative sermon content. 
This is the supernatural sermon content. Do you remember when the disciples were walking with Jesus on the road to the Emmaus after he had resurrected? Yeah. And Jesus Christ was talking to the disciples. The Bible says that he expounded unto them from the scriptures all the things concerning himself. Now, if Jesus Christ himself can't just wax eloquent, but actually expounded to those disciples from the scriptures the things concerning. Jesus is the word of God, yet he turned to the word of God to, to give meaningful ministry to these disciples. And you remember after he vanished from them, they recognized him in the breaking of the bread, and he vanished from them, and they looked at one another and they said, did not our hearts burn within mm. us while we walked with him on the road? I mean, that was life changing encounter with Jesus Christ, God, creator of the universe. And he used the word of God himself. What would cause us to think that we can do less? But James, let, let me ask you this question. It seems as though uh, people used to know at least the basic Bible stories. Tell me, wh what is the negative effects that you see uh, impacting the church and the culture from a lack of knowledge of the Bible? So let's take the story of David and Goliath. Um, army afraid, giant challenges, shepherd not afraid, giant dead. There's the story. But in the middle of all that, that's um, 1 Samuel. And in the middle of all of that is where David says uh, two really important things. And uh, he was provided Saul's armor, but he said, I cannot use these things. I have not tested them. And we know it in the strength of the Lord. And then when, when he was remarked that God's soldiers were afraid, he said, who is this heathen to defy the armies of the living God? But how many people are listening to this right now and they're facing giants? And they know that God wants to defeat their enemies, but they have no scriptural content. You said it earlier, you've hidden these messages in your heart. Psalm 119, I think verse 105 are right in there. He said, your word I have hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. But how many people are listening to this right now and they don't realize it's not a matter of, oh, Bible literacy is down. No, it's that real things are happening in your life and you're not equipped with the word of God in your heart right. to defeat the enemy. Jesus Christ himself, when he was tempted, quoted the scriptures. It is written. It is written. It is written. And that's, people say, oh, I want, you know, why won't Satan leave me alone? Well, resist the enemy and he will flee from you. And resisting the enemy is speaking the word of God. He runs. I love your emphasis and your love and your dependency and the preeminence that you place on the word of God. Uh, and, and for goodness sakes, uh, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and God spoke words to create a universe and it, it leapt into existence. And so uh, the, the word is our life and I'm so glad that you've devoted your life and are still um, teaching the word of God in such a powerful way. James, we're gonna be right back so that we can discuss what we can do to reverse the trend of biblical illiteracy. Everyone stay tuned. We're back with James McDonald talking about the crisis of biblical illiteracy in our culture today. Um, James, thanks so much for discussing this important topic with us. Now, in this segment, I'd like to talk more about what we can do to promote a better understanding of, a love for, and a dependence on the Bible. So I wanna start with this. I'm gonna play, how about we play a little game? I'm gonna give you a few excuses about why I can't read the Bible. I can't. 
and, okay. and you tell me, you tell me uh, what, what you think. So uh, I'm, I'm distracted. You know what? I, I'm, I have so many great things going on in my life. I've got so many people that I love that I, I, I just can't handle it all at the same time. And uh, the Bible's just going to have to wait. Well, I would say that reading the Bible is to your um, spiritual strength like um, tithing is to your financial strength. And I've preached for years, 90% with you and God in your finances. So 90% because you've given your tithes to the Lord, to his church. 90% with you and God is more than 100% with you on your own. And because it just is, now you got God on your team, I'll take 90% with the Lord a long way. And so in the same sense, what we also, uh, what I would also say is, is that you can tithe your time. And just not only does the first portion of my income belong to God and the first uh, uh, day of the week belongs to God, but the first portion of my day belongs to God. And I think people will find if they spend the first portion of their day centering their thoughts upon God and his word, the time that remains will go further and do more and in a healthier way. I've just driven down that, that biblical highway so many times. I must have read the story of Noah and the ark 42 times. I don't need to read it anymore. Been there, done that. Great. Don't read those Old Testament stories anymore. Take a whole break on that. I'll give you five years off. But do this instead. Read three chapters in the Gospel of John every day, the same three chapters every day for 30 days. Then go to the next three. Then go to the next three. There's 20 uh, one in total. And when you've done that for that period of time, you're going to know the gospel of John like you never have before. And here's what's going to blow your mind. You were quoting a minute ago about how the word of God is living and active from Hebrews chapter four. And the word of God is alive. I've preached a whole message. I've given 30 or 40 hours to studying a paragraph and come back to it three or four years later and found completely new and different things. The Bible is alive. And it's like saying, I picked apples off that tree last year. I can't get any more apples off that tree this year. No, it's always alive with life-giving food for the person whose heart is hungry and wants it. James, you're not only a phenomenal teacher of the word of God, you're also a very powerful teacher of pastors. And I know you're investing in pastors today. What can pastors be doing from the pulpits to encourage their congregants to read their Bibles more faithfully? As we said already, and we won't go back over it in detail, but just the, preaching the word themselves, just believing that nothing will feed your people, like breaking up a paragraph of scripture and helping them apply it by the Holy Spirit. Practical biblical preaching is number one. Uh, number two is g give them some ideas. Our son uh, started a church recently uh, here in the Chicagoland area, and he gave out to his uh, congregation a Bible reading plan that we took one to, and we're going to go through certain books of the Bible. They're getting on a Facebook page. They're working on it together. So have a Bible on your phone. Have uh, the Word of God at your fingertips. Another really important thing that a pastor can do is I think people can see when their pastor knows the Word, when he has scriptures that he's committed to memory. And then he can uh, quote those scriptures while he's preaching. And I think it inspires other people to, we always had our small groups memorizing God's word. So some of these things, um, you know, I think really develop that hunger. If I could just give these three words to close that, discipline, desire, delight. First, it's a discipline. The word of God will never become your desire until it's your discipline. Once it is that, you can begin to say with David, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. And then ultimately God's word, if it's discipline and desire, it will become your delight. But most people have never done this for even 30 days in a row, and they've never developed an appetite for God's word. 
What about the person that says, I want to want to read the Bible. I want to love the Bible and, and feel about it the way that you do. But I don't know. I read it. It just kind of comes across, uh, you know, I read Leviticus. It's, it's kind of dry as, as, as bark. So let me ask you, is the Bible precious to a certain type of people? I mean, do you have to love no. old literature? Do you have to be born again before it starts to make sense? Or can anybody pick it up and just see that it's, it's, it's literary gold? Uh, it says in, I think, 1st or 2nd Corinthians 2.14 says that the natural man does not perceive the things of the Spirit of God, neither can he know them for their foolishness to him. And if someone is tuned into your program right now and maybe your name got their attention or something, um, they feel that way about the Bible. And the first thing you have to do is you have to bow your knee to Jesus Christ as Lord, who gave himself as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And if you believe on Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, he will come into your life uh, by his spirit, and he will give you the free gift of eternal life if you just ask for it. And then when the spirit comes to reside in you, like my wife, Kathy, she had never been to a church till she was 15 years old. And you know Kathy very well, Kirk. And her testimony is that this book that sat in my hope chest forever and never got touched, all of a sudden I would pull it out and I would, she was going through hard things with her family and she began to devour this book. And so if you've never come to know Jesus Christ, if you've never embraced him by faith for your forgiveness, then the Bible will always be like a, you know, like a chemistry textbook. But when the spirit comes to live in you and you give that spirit an opportunity to invigorate the word of God within you, um, like I said, discipline, desire, and you'll get to delight if you know the Lord. You know, before you know somebody, they may have a whole stack of letters there uh, that you really don't have any interest in reading. But once you know them and, and you have a relationship with them and you love them, and then you find out that those letters are written to you to express their love for you and their, uh, their desire for your life. Oh, my goodness. Now it's the most interesting thing in the world. And, of course, we find that the Bible has so much of what God wants us to hear from his heart to ours. Well, my mom used to teach us this chorus. She, she brought us and all the neighborhood kids down to the basement every Tuesday afternoon, and she used to tell the stories of the Bible to us in a little thing called Bible Club. And one of the songs we would used to sing, I'm not going to torture your uh, viewers with uh, my vocal range, but here are the words to the song. It was, the Bible is the written word of God. It tells about the living word of God. On every page, on every line, you'll find the Son of God divine. If you want to learn to know the King of Kings, if you want to learn of all the heavenly things, read the book, learn the book, let the book teach you. And see, so you've got to stop thinking about the Bible like a seer's catalog. It isn't that. It is alive. God wrote it, and it is the story of God's love for mankind and how he sent his son Jesus. And in the Old Testament, he's prophesied. In the New Testament, he, he arrives, and then how the church is built. And, and I'm just telling you, if you've never dug into God's word for yourself, you are, you know, your faith is on fumes. James, speak to, uh, let's say, the parent or maybe even the grandparent who is saying, you know what, uh, I've still got lots of, uh, lots of gas in the tank here, and I want to do everything I can to pass on my love for the Bible to the next generation. Is it better to talk to them about uh, evidence for the truth of the Bible, the credibility of the Bible, the historical reliability of the Bible, so that they'll read it? Or is it better to just tell them the stories, the mighty deeds of God, so that they are familiar with who God is based on his word? 
Well, for sure, that's that's age dependent, right? I would never raise an objection to a child if they didn't have one. You don't need to be answering questions they're not asking. And so the younger they are, the more um, your compelling love for God's word will be contagious. Just read it with them. Talk to them about the stories. There's many, many um, wonderful videos and other things that are out there to help children get more deeply into God's word. But as they get older, um, they're going to have questions. And I think grandparents and grandparents need to familiarize themselves. And this is in a book that I actually have. I can uh, share it with you called God Wrote a Book, where I go through, you know, the archaeological evidence for the Bible as God's word and the historical manuscript. Let me just say like one thing. Most people who have been educated know about Homer's Iliad or Plato for, I'll use Plato as an example. Hey, Kurt, guess how many um, existing manuscripts we have um, in regard to ancient manuscripts in regard to Plato? Uh, a thousand. Incorrect. Uh, 210, the time gap between when Plato lived and the oldest manuscripts we have is 1300 years. Yet you could not go to a university campus in America and have anyone question the historicity of the writings of Plato. Nevertheless, we have 18,520 New Testament manuscript portions compared to the 210 with Plato. And the time gap in years is between uh, really one and 200. Now this past year, they found a fragment of the Gospel of Mark that dates to the same century as when Christ lived. And so what I'm saying is the time gap between writer and what we have is like this. With Plato, it's like this. And the amount that we have with Plato, it's like this. And with the Bible, it's like this. So we have a lot more from a much closer time, and that's just one little fact I could go right through here with Tacitus and Homer and all the statistics, but the Bible obliterates all of ancient literature combined just in the manuscript evidence that we have. And, and so those are the kind of things you can share with a high school student or a college student to prepare them for the kind of nonsense that's going to be thrown at them to make them doubt their confidence in God's Word. James, you, you've taught your, your kids so well, and your son Landon is a phenomenal Bible teacher. Luke is as well. Yeah. And one of the things that I love that Landon points out to us is that the Bible is the only book where the author actually explains the book to you as you're reading it. So that would be like Correct. reading uh, Mere Christianity and having C.S. Lewis actually explain the text to you himself. And so you have a right. book written by the Holy Spirit who is the resident truth teacher speaking to you as you read it. I mean, that would be like Tolkien explaining to you Lord of the Rings as you read the book. And uh, we have that in the Bible and the author of the Bible, the Holy Spirit. It truly is a so unique well book. Nothing else like it in the entire world. And it's just so great that you're taking the time to just draw this to people's attention again, because I, I'm going to tell you this. I have found over the course of my life that my private time with the Lord in prayer and in God's word is something that doesn't matter how many times I pull it up on the table. Two weeks later, it's trying to crawl away again. You got to go get it and bring it back. You got to go. I thought I'd come to the time in my life where I was never really forcing myself to focus on that priority. And I've certainly had times, you know, months and months and even years of consistency. But I would just say that you have to always come back to this. And so whether you're listening and, or watching right now and you have known the Lord for 50 years or whether you're a brand new believer or need to become one so the Holy Spirit can become your teacher, 
of the Word of God, wherever you're at on that timeline. You know, there's, there's no shame here. We just all need to come back to the priority of God's Word in our lives, and we don't regret it when we do. My grandfather, can I tell you one more thing? My grandfather wrote in the very first Bible I ever owned. I was, and there's another thing grandparents can do. He wrote in the front of it this little phrase. I'm sure you've heard it. I haven't heard it for many years now from anyone else, but he wrote in it, this book will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book. That's so true. Hi, I'm Kirk Cameron. Thanks for listening to this episode of Takeaways. If you love the conversations that we're having, please follow or subscribe to this podcast to never miss any of this great content. And please consider leaving a positive rating and a review to help others like you discover this show.